You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Poltergeist Edition. Yay! Yay. Boo! Am I doing a ghost sound, or am I giving my opinion on the movie? I think you're doing a ghost sound. We'll find out. We'll find out. Folks, we thought we'd talk about Poltergeist, because we've been ambling it up, ambling our way through... Well, well, let's just be honest. We're big Amblin fans. We're big Amblin fans, and we were watching... When in doubt, go Amblin. When in doubt, go Amblin or go home. That's what we always say to each other. And we just watched the Indiana Jones films. And I'm Nathan, and you're Jake, by the way. Yep, I'm Jake. If, if there was any doubt of that fact, we thought we'd do Poltergeist, a, a movie that I remember from my childhood, but didn't really remember very well, but I knew it had that a Amblin. movie I had never seen and felt some trepidation about seeing. I'm not, I don't like horror movies never been a horror fan don't like doing anything that even vaguely feels like endorsing them yeah so add some trepidation about taking this one on i did too i mean i think it's no secret that i've enjoyed a lot of horror things in my time i always have kind of a love-hate relationship with it for the purposes of these podcasts because i also don't want to endorse things that are wicked on the other hand i think what like we've, we famously did an episode of the booking on stephen king where we talked about how bad he was and then, like, everybody was like, so, Nathan, you really like Stephen King, huh? Yeah. It was like, okay, I, I should just be honest on the podcast about what I like and don't like and talk honestly and hopefully maturely about what I endorse. The good and the bad of that. The good and the bad of these things. Not that we're going to be doing our hot take on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre anytime soon. But Poltergeist, I thought was worth doing. And we can talk about, we'll, we'll decide in this episode whether it actually ultimately was. But it's a pretty interesting movie. Right in that sweet spot of when Spielberg was firing on all cylinders and had something to say. And this movie came out like within weeks of E.T. Spielberg famously wanted to direct both. There was some kind of a proviso in the Directors Guild rules or whatever that you can't do that. And so he hired Toby Hooper, who was famous for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to direct Poltergeist. Spielberg wrote the script for this, cast the actors, he edited it. He oversaw the special effects. He would go back and forth between this and E.T. You can find interviews. I saw an interview with him where he's at the time saying like, yeah, every time I needed to recharge my batteries on E.T., I went to work on Poltergeist. And every time I needed to recharge my batteries on Poltergeist, I went and worked on E.T. I don't know what's interesting. I, I, I guess this is just a Steven Spielberg movie. That's, that's the easiest yeah. way to say it. Whether there's been a lot of controversy. Actually, at the time, Toby Hooper the director's guild decided to investigate because they'd heard so many things that it sounded like Spielberg just probably should have a co-director credit. And so Spielberg took out an ad in Variety and wrote a, you know, an open letter to Toby Hoover thanking him for the great job that he'd done directing Poltergeist and trying to put this whole thing to rest. But mm-hmm. everybody kind of thinks Spielberg actually directed it. And some of the, like Zelda Rubenstein, who plays the little medium lady, mm-hmm. she went on record saying, Toby Hooper, he couldn't direct traffic. He was sitting back there every day I came on set. Steve was there. Steve told me what to do. He worked with the actors. Steven Spielberg found Carol Ann, whatever that girl's name is. Mm -hmm. Heather O'Rourke, I think, worked with her. Every story, every anecdote that you hear about this, it's about like Spielberg had to step in and Mm -hmm. do this. Or Spielberg said that I should do this this way. Toby Hooper probably can direct traffic. I mean... And he probably did direct direct traffic, but this is creatively and in many ways, just logistically and technically 
This is a Spielberg joint. This is a Spielberg movie. Yeah. And it's pretty fascinating to put this, to realize this came out within, this was directed, conceived, and done in the same period as E.T. Came out within the same, a week or two of E.T. that summer of 82. Is very much the id of, yeah. of e, where E.T. says suburban life under Reagan might work out if we can just find a cute creature from space poltergeist is just like <laughs> let's blow <Nope>. it to bits <laughs> where et ends with elliot waving goodbye to his friends this movie has a fake ending where the family's kind of happy and they've conquered the problem and then the real ending is their house has been swallowed up and the bad guy's gotten away with it and they're just completely demoralized yeah. their shoulders sagging as they walk into that hotel and throw out their tv the symbol yeah. of whatever it was the symbol of corporate 80s america i don't know the symbols of the capitalist so those are the reasons why i thought this would be an interesting movie to talk about a because it's really just a steven spielberg movie and we've been talking a lot about him this year with the indiana jones movies and it's from that same time mm -hmm. period this would have been after raiders right before temple of doom yeah this would have been part of the same fight that led up to the temple of doom pg-13 rating i think that they got rated r for this one for really obvious reasons no it's pg and and, and then they they appealed it without oh, okay okay i'm and, sorry i misunderstood where you're going yeah the, the mbaa gave it an r rightfully so i think because based on that stupid bathroom scene alone mm -hmm. this deserves an r rating yep the bathroom scene to my mind is worse than anything in raiders of the lost ark or yeah it's it's worse yeah i mean it's pretty gross but they appealed it and I don't know if they had to cut that scene down or not, but there's still a lot of that scene in there and they got it down to PG and Spielberg said, hey, it's parental guidance. Don't send your kids. And then nobody was happy with that. So yeah, within a couple of years, he'd done it again with Temple of Doom and Gremlins and then Spielberg himself to get out of hot water called the MPA president and said, hey, let's do How about it. We have a middle of the road rating. Here. Yeah. Which is a good idea i guess i don't know this isn't an episode about the rating system the rating system is weird and politicized very politicized and, yeah yeah is what it is i did think like i did have the thought when i saw this i pulled it up on my apple tv and it's like oh pg and i thought oh i wonder you know maybe this would be fun you know for some of my older kids and i thought yeah i'm just gonna i'm not even gonna not gonna try that yeah that was smart that was yeah. a good thought <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it is unfortunate though because it is a pretty friendly movie all around until the point when it's yeah, not exactly like you could see that if, if if not that we could we could maybe have a discussion about whether to ever show your kids any movies about the demonic the supernatural the ghost if you were there's lots of parts in this movie that are just kind of scary but also it's a cartoon hand coming out of the tv oh no you know yeah whatever but then when it wants to kind of earn its horror credentials in a few moments, it's like. It's, it's over the top. Yeah, it's overkill and it, yeah. it kind of harshes the buzz of this movie, I would say. I don't know. What did you, I guess. So I've been establishing why I wanted to do it. It's a Spielberg movie. Mostly it was interesting for that reason. Also, yeah. it's one I grew up with. It was an Amblin movie that you hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it really informs, I think. You know, if we're going to talk about E.T. one of these days, if we're going to talk about Spielberg's suburbia, if we're going to talk about 
all these kinds of things that are Steven Spielberg. It's a pretty interesting movie. From- it's interesting. I, I don't know. Uh, coming to it, having never seen it before and having no nostalgia for it mm-hmm. and no special love of the genre, I felt very much like it, it, it never found its way under my skin. Mm-hmm. You know, it never got in my head or in my heart. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just wasn't uh, engaged with it the way that, you know, if we put on E.T., I'm going like, to be crying. I'm going to be crying. Yeah. This movie had nothing inside me and it never a- asked for much inside me. Did it get you on its intended level? Were you ever scared? No. That's really not a very scary movie. It's not scary. It didn't like the idea of any of it never really, you know, you can look at, okay, you know, the effects are old and whatever. That's fine. But you you can watch a movie with old effects and the idea of it gets under your skin. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think you could watch a movie with no effects and the idea will really get under your skin. Right. Well, I mean, I, I almost found it comical when we like all of a sudden the tree's going to burst into the room and eat the boy and there's going to be a cartoon tornado and mm-hmm. the girl's going to get drug into like it didn't feel earned at that point to to make those big leaps and no the only reason way that works is for a children's movie actually like if right. this was pitched at the wizard of oz crowd i think yeah the tree actually can get you is a pretty neat twist yeah. well I, I, the tree actually can get you is a really great idea mm-hmm. it just didn't really work like, i think that moment it's just like, oh, okay, I guess this isn't a scary movie. And, yeah, that's what when, it felt like. When the first uh, little cartoon, almost looks like the Disney animators from Mary Poppins did it, wispy hand yeah. thing comes out of the TV, it's just like, oh, well, you've already, you've already shown me what's up your sleeve movie. Yeah, like, it's not very much. And it's not much. Yeah. Like, as, as, as long as Carol Ann's just looking in the TV and she says they're here and stuff. That's kind of creepy right? in and of itself. Like the, just the idea that something's come into our home and we don't know what it is. But we as an audience very quickly do know pretty much what we're dealing with. Yeah. And then all you've got is a light show and some grisly special effects later on. Yeah. And even that, like, I didn't believe that they were going to leave dude. Like, I, I was not, like, surprised or relieved when it was just a vision. Mm-hmm. Like. It's just like, yeah, I don't think the tone of this movie, like if they leave this this way and they're going to come find his mangled, melted, clawed body, it it would so break the tone of this movie. They've got to go back. This has to be a vision. Like I had that thought Mm -hmm. in the moment. Like, so, okay. Like if you're thinking that thought in the moment, then it's, it doesn't actually work. It's not actually doing its job. It's just there to get your horror cred in. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. It's really cynical. Yeah. It is a thing that feels cynical about Spielberg around this time it's the temple of doom heart scene it's that kind of stuff it's just like we need to do this because it's what we think people want or yeah and so i I don't know let's just get all let's just dump on this movie real quick so we can talk about the virtues of it Mm -hmm. i think it's a bad movie i think the whole first act is slow and lame Mm -hmm. i i I will just say very quickly i love this movie probably but not for anything that it does intentionally i i love the moment in history that it captures. Well, you said you said earlier that this is just the flip side of ET. It's the it, and I think that that is the level on which you can really love and enjoy as a cultural artifact. I love this movie. Yeah, both like, of Spielberg's career of the eighties, of the era of of my childhood. Of there's a lot of th- points. So of maybe connection. we just needed to talk about that before we dump on it. 
I think I actually like dumping on it. Let's dump on it first because I don't think it'll actually take that long. It's well, slow. I, I sorry, but then you were like, "No, let me defend it first. So I don't know which way are we going. Sorry, we sorry, could go I, either way. Yeah, no, I'm. I just wanted to get my sort of on the table big take on the table. Yeah. So let's get back to the dumping now. Yeah, uh, it, the movie is straight from the id and as an artifact of the id of the time and of Spielberg and everything that that represents, it's pretty special in and of itself. We're going to spend and a lot of time lot. talking about subtext. The text is lame. Text is lame. The subtext is worth talking about, then turning around and applying it to all of the dumb ripoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, Stranger Things needs to go and take a lesson from the school of the id. Right. But the movie itself, just as it's constructed, it's actually a pretty bad movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's slow. And the first act is lame. It does some good stuff to sort of setting up the ambiance. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, even that, there's some weird missteps. Like the the music is really sentimental at places where if it was more ominous. And it, and it was clearly a decision. It was like, we're going to lean into this or we're leaning away from it or leaning into it by leaning away. But yeah, just if you wanted me to be on edge or to be scared or to really feel like some tension, you broke it. You right. Know? And, and hypothetically, at least you should be a soft touch because you don't watch this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it should be able to get you mm-hmm. now some people just aren't gettable by supernatural stuff i'm gettable yeah i'm pretty gettable when it comes i'm actually especially get this kind the, of thing is really scary to me when it's done the reason w- I, well. I mean i think the reason i don't like this stuff is because i'm so gettable like, right i don't think it's because it does nothing for me i think it's because it does so much to me that i you feel used and it feels unpleasant exactly right yeah, yeah i've certainly been had those experiences where it's like what who am i why that wasn't enjoyable. I just paid yeah. money for someone to hit me over the side of the head and make I, me listen, feel bad. Uh, apologies to the audience, but every time I come out, I've come out my entire life. Every time I've come out of those movies, the word I always use is rape. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's how I feel. I, I you were assaulted. By I was assaulted. I was assaulted on a deep emotional, spiritual level, violated and abused, mm-hmm. and left dirty. That's how I feel coming out a lot lots of these movies and i don't like that feeling and i avoid it yeah and and i think that is the correct take by the way i i have some nostalgia for the for certain artifacts artifacts for certain pieces of the genre but there are movies that just cross a line and i don't think that they should cross it i mean it turns out if you show the worst degradation or if you conjure the demonic in a way that's palpable that's that feels real then it's pretty easy to play someone like a piano but yeah that's not a noble thing for an artist to aspire to yeah yeah you get, get your power trip on go ahead but now we know who you are where the line is you know we're not gonna solve on this podcast because a lot right. of things that we talk about like the indiana jones series are gonna have those elements and right they'll be done very enjoyable and part and enjoyably and, part and to of, good effect and to good effect to pretend like the world is not a spiritual world to pretend like the world doesn't have some crazy stuff going on in it is to lie in its own way mm-hmm. and lots of movies are lying like that so to have those kinds of elements in your movie is not a bad thing intrinsically mm-hmm. that's what you want to do with them it's your intention i think there also is it's something to be said about don't violate the bargain that you make with the audience in other yeah. words there are some movies and i'm not defending them but there are some movies that say do you want to be in nobody goes into the texas chainsaw massacre expecting to feel good at the end right but there are movies i mean i think it's one of the problems with temple of doom for example that 
you didn't go in paying to be insult assaulted but then there's that little section in the movie at least where it takes you deep where it takes deeper you deep than into you wanted the, to go into the demonic and into the just the visceral grew and gore of it all yeah and that's unfair that's not yeah. what that's not why i bought my ticket no so i mean i can think of at least one when you when you said you walked out feeling assaulted i can think of a, a movie that i walked out of that was that i think the entire audience felt that way you could say it was just because the filmmaker had done a better job than we expected him to, but it really did feel like we all went expecting to kind of be spooked and fun. Instead, we just had to sit there and process something very dark and something real. And I remember there was the audience for these kinds of movies is always jocks, jocks, girl. jocks and co-eds, you know, yep. some guy who wants to have a lady clinging to his arm and then uh, some girl that wants to cling to the big strong man's yeah, arm let's let's not let the ladies off the hook yeah exactly and, and and i remember she was in fact clinging to this guy's arm but I, I don't think he was getting the result that he actually wanted because she was traumatized and sad and yeah it's gonna be you're not gonna go achieve the things that you were hoping that to you were it. it's yep it's not uh setting you up for that it's setting you up for processing you know, daddy issues, Our deepest mommy issues, deepest and, fears yeah, fear. about children and babies or whatever it was in the movie. You know, yeah. that's generally what it comes down to is processing the trauma of mm -hmm. sex and death mm -hmm. one way or another. Yeah. And if, if that's what, what ha this happens almost every year in the horror community is something does that really well and it becomes a festival hit movies like hereditary or the, the wit of a bitch, you know, things that you'll see, you've probably seen on pop up on Netflix they'll do that they'll they'll be very well made works of assault and so some slick producer will pick them up and market them as kind of the next date horror movie and the, final destination yeah, screen the, the next conjuring or final <laughs> right. and then then people will go see them and they'll either you, I know what you did last summer yeah and there's two responses if you find yourself in a movie like that you can either let yourself be traumatized or you can check out completely and so the people will say either that was the most horrific thing and I'm I'm kind of offended by it, you know, have the Jake response or that was so boring and stupid and yeah. I just, oh, that was lame, man. Yeah. Those are kind of the only responses. There's truth in advertising and I think that is one of the things Poltergeist actually gets wrong with its grisly scene. There is a version of this movie that's a pretty scary haunted house thriller. There's a version of this movie that's a pretty benign what would it be like if a ghost came into my house children's movie almost like mm -hmm. a, what you'd kind of actually expect if steven spielberg yeah ghost movie to be yeah uh, this movie tries to split the difference and that's one of its major flaws i think it shows you where spielberg is going to tend to go wrong mm -hmm. down the line he really shouldn't try to split differences he should just be fun and he can, you can be like Jaws is fun. Mm -hmm. Like there's, I mean, and he got it right with Jaws. Jaws is like, an example of a very violent, suspenseful movie that makes it, I think, a fair promise to the audience and then keeps it. Delivers. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be a really intense survival. You never thriller. feel betrayed while you're watching Jaws. Mm -hmm. You know what it's going to be. And then you just, it just keeps delivering and it delivers on the jump scares yeah. and everything else that you signed up for right it just keeps delivering et delivers like right here's some scary horror tension but actually it's a heartwarming sweet movie 
Well, it's almost like where Spielberg goes wrong is anytime he tries to outthink himself. If he just gives in to his instincts, his instincts are always good. I mean, he just wanted to tell the story of E.T. because it meant something to him because his parents had gotten divorced because he thought his dad was the bad guy because he loved his mom mm-hmm. but didn't know how to process her grief because, you know, he probably loved his dog or something. I don't know. Right. E.T. is just... All of that. All of that. Poltergeist, I think, has some of that. It has some of that, I'm a young dad, I don't know how to love my family. The, the, I think some of the most affecting shots of the movie are when we cut to dad and he's just like what am I supposed to do with this? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Well, that is the, I mean, that is the great, that's what's great. If we just follow the arc of dad. Yeah. And mom too. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we got two hippies here. Yeah. Right. Like two hippies born in the fifties, parents in the eighties now. Yeah. Okay. Like, and by the way, I thought it was just, that they cast the actors young, but at a certain point they say he's asked his wife's age and he says 32, which means if she had, there's some, there's some, I think nice, subtext as to who these characters are like they hooked up they have a teenage daughter they hooked up really early they probably got pregnant out of wedlock yeah they've gotten married they've made a life for themselves they've done trying to figure it out they're still like gonna be uh geeking out on the bed to some what was while some dumb tv shows on and smoking weed yeah you know but they you know she says we've worked really hard for this like they've 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 achieved the yuppie dream. They've become these respectable midi- middle class kind He's of people. He's like the guy who's worked himself up in this co- company so much that he can take a week or two off of work, say that he's sick, and the boss is going to be like, oh, crap, this means that he's looking for other jobs. Let me come and throw the bank at him. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they, they're, they're the flower children that, have figu- that are figuring it out, right. like um, trying to do it right trying to be the good dad, trying to be the good mom. So like trying to be open-minded, like look, weird stuff's happening in this house. Remember that time, like when you were tripping acid, like oh, that how theme. open you were, like you, you got to get yourself back into that place. Now watch as this demon ghost is going to pull the chair across the floor and now pull our daughter across the floor. Mm. Like on well, that kind of battle between open-mindedness slash old school toughness that we need yeah. is a theme through the entire movie it's gonna i mean well and that's why i mean even when you come back to something like and we're going to talk about this i'm going to try to talk about it in kingdom of the crystal skull Mm. you can't recap the only way to recapture indiana jones is to have a an indiana jones that is that was born in the 80s Mm. and is trying to figure it out now right the way that indiana jones was you, you you take Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. and, and you know you can go ahead and set him back in time, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he still has to carry the spirit of now, right? That's what they got to go back and recapture. And I, why Kingdom of the Crystal School doesn't work, and why this next movie is not going to work, probably, right. unless unless they actually tap in to something, right? Like Kingdom of the Crystal School is actually a great example of the just the, for me to close the loop on the thing I was saying earlier, which is Biel, Steven Spielberg is really when he tries to split the difference between what he calculates that his audience likes and what he's actually interested stop in. Stop calculating. Just stop he's calculating. He's such a perfect, I don't know, I've been using this word in like a thousand different ways lately. He's such a perfect avatar of like, what's the better word? What's the real word that I want? He's just like the- He's a synthesis. He's a- The magic, the reason he had the mojo, the magic is because he was just tapped in. Mm-hmm. Like he was, like he was the representative of the spirit of the age. Like he felt it. 
And there's a movie at the corner. We'll talk about this next time, but there's a movie at the corners of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where he's just tapping into I used to be that, Mm -hmm. where he's telling the story of old Indiana Jones, but he doesn't really feel like he can quite do that. No, because he feels like he still needs to make Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones the hero of the story. Right. But the fact is, and and that is where it's caught up. Like, it's like, he's not ready to pass the baton, Mm -hmm. doesn't want to pass the baton. And so he's going to take the hat at the end and also like he's going to intentionally or subconsciously miscast the guy that he's going to hand the baton to, you know, it's just like. Yeah, it's, it's problematic. It's problematic. Uh, It it doesn't work. But this is not that discussion. This is not that discussion. But I I think I just wanted to close the loop on anytime Spielberg, Ready Player One's another great example. He's interested in the old guy who created the world. He does not care about these young people and their video game adventure, but he knows right. he kind of has to do that. And so that movie's really boring. The only, you can tell when Spielberg's engaged, he's engaged when the old guy comes on, the guy that should have been played by Gene Wilder if Gene Wilder wasn't sick, whatever his if name he is. he had survived, yeah. yeah. It really should have been played by Gene Wilder and that would have been awesome. Like that would have changed the whole, like if Spielberg had Gene Wilder there, he might've actually been inspired to give us a good movie. Yeah, he might have just went back and said, okay, how do I make the rest of this movie actually about something that I care about because yeah. I've got Gene Wilder. But Crystal Skull, same thing. He's really interested in the scenes where Indiana Jones is sad and talking to his friend about the good old days. He really doesn't care about the Indiana Jones scenes. And so something like yeah. Last Crusade, which we just talked about, he finds a way to synthesize the two. One side of it does still feel a little bit cynical and formulaic, but at least he had enough of the magic back then that he could just kind of make it all work. But he's really interested in the dad stuff. Poltergeist is a great example of a movie that almost works in spite of itself because his instincts are so good as to be the audience avatar or whatever word we want to use. Yeah. But all the calculated stuff is stupid. Yeah. And I mean, there's just so many places where because it's calculated, it really does break. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it just breaks. Yeah. And so we have the false ending and then come on. We don't stay in this. There's no way. There is no way any family ever stays another night in that forsaken house. Right. And they bend over backwards to try and make it work. We're going to have the medium lady say, this house is clean or whatever. And then we're going to have dad say, "Uh, well, this is a really lame table setting. Like, uh, I guess you can let the kids sleep if they Take have to. Like, I'll, I'll be home really soon, though. Yeah. And what are you gonna do about that gray stuff in in your hair? Oh, I I guess I'll I'll dye it out and take a bath so that it, the kids can fall asleep and I can be in the absolute most vulnerable position when the monsters show monsters back, so. show back yeah. up. It's just so stupid. It's really stupid. It's just yeah, and really unsupr- Like we've gone past and it's the like, ending. I've got a point that I'm going to make. And so I'm going to break the reality of this film in order to make this point. And the point is everything and everyone is terrible. Yeah. And it's like, but I don't begrudge him wanting to make that point. It's just like. That point kind of is what makes the movie fun and makes the movie kind of rule. Yeah. It's like, it is what makes that movie worth watching. Yeah. But why'd you have to break the movie to, 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 to do that? There was a better way to do that. Yeah, it's where Spielberg feels most cynical. It's like, I guess he made a movie that people liked, but he but he could have actually made a really great movie that people would still remember. He could have he could have made a movie that 
Jake did grow up with, even though he doesn't like the genre. Right. And Spielberg was that good. He could have made the one ghost movie that we've all seen, whether we whether we care, whether well, yeah, he made the are, he made the monster movies that I've seen. Like yeah, exactly. He made the one. He made Jaws. He made Jurassic Park. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't watch monster movies. I watched those. Yeah, Jake's Jake's not a big fan of like the Relic or right. other movies where monsters pop out and eat people. But he's seen he's seen the Steven Spielberg mo- monsters yeah, pop out. Like and that's eat his people. his job is to be the you know to to take that digest it and give it to me in a way that here's your one UFO movie. Exactly. Here's here's your one. That's what that's what Spielberg's that's what he does. Like, here's your one adventurer movie. Really, I mean, yeah, you haven't it's all seen like James he just Bond sort of like, and it's not like. It, it never feels like the the suits are like you know we need a Spielberg to digest this for everybody. It feels like here's a guy who's like, hey, I want to do a UFO movie. Hey, mm. I want to do a monster movie. Hey, dinosaurs cool. Hey, like you know whatever it is like you know yeah, the explorer cool. Like mm. you just sort of follow him around because he wants to touch all these places and everywhere he touches, it feels like it's gold. Well, to that point. 81 Raiders of the Lost Ark, 82 E.T., 82 Poltergeist, 84 Gremlins and Temple of Doom, 85 Goonies and Back to the Future. Yeah. This, what a run. What a run. This guy, it was, he, he was King Midas, like yeah. everything this man touched. It was gold. I mean, I don't know, maybe the Beatles, like, I, has there been an entertainer in the 20th or 21st century who's had a bigger, better run. I mean, that's just, that's not even counting the stuff that came after that. After that, we're going to get into like the color purple and he's yeah. going to tra- start trying to grow up. He's not going to really successfully grow up. But in, in, in film, what, what, who do you have? You've got like Hitchcock and Spielberg. Yeah. And Hitchcock, and... you know, maybe he did too. You know, I mean, he Hitchcock probably did like Vertigo, which wasn't a big hit. And then if I remember correctly, like it would have been, Maybe Psycho and the Birds would have been the one-two punch. In terms of just like... You can name people that have done series, like the Marvel films or... Or uh, people who've done... Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. Who've done arguably better work. Like you can pull the Scorsese's and the whoever else you want to. But just in terms of like popular mass appeal, like mass impact, it's like that uh, he's a public intellectual, which is to say he's a kind of intellectual that actually matters. Mm -hmm. In terms of just mass impact, there's Spielberg. There's everything after Spielberg. And the fact is people are still making money off of Spielberg today. Like oh, yeah. Stranger Things is just like tripping on Spielberg nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's not even let's try to be what Spielberg was. It's like, no, let's just try to re- recreate the same vibe that Spielberg gave us when we were kids for ourselves, not for even for a new generation. Like, mm-hmm. this is that, you know, I think maybe the Beatles is that comparison where it's just like, yeah, there are musicians out there that are like riffing and trying to do but then there is a whole bunch of other people that are just like, let's just recreate the Beatles, man. But I mean, it's, they, it, they won. It is that level of just like, oh yeah, we'll take five years and we'll just change everything and make a ton of money. And you may not like us, you may like us, whatever. We're just going to build Mount Rushmore and put our faces on it and peace out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know. There's only a handful of entertainers. I mean, the Beatles and the Beatles would be one of them that you could point to that actually achieved that actually did what spielberg did in this glorious run yeah and this is the low light right here yeah this is but but it's part of the story this is the middle i mean it's actually pretty interesting to just take those five that i named or six you've got you've got kind of a fun sandwich here you've got uh like the bread is fun the meat is the meat is 
poltergeist. Um, right. So Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the most fun, greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Then you've got E.T., also one of the greatest movies of all time. Absolutely. But maybe not Friday night. I'm going to put this on for fun like Raiders of the Lost Ark is. More like, oh, I want to be sad and Yeah, it's like and- you save it for October maybe once a year at the most. Yeah, it's like a gather around kids. We're going to dust off by E.T. again kind of. Exactly. But we don't just put this on like. No, it's a it's a decision. It's a special movie. Yeah, and then you've got and then you got pul- a really interesting three punch here, Poltergeist. I hate you, audience. I hate the people who made me popular, Gremlins. I hate you. <laughs> if in case, in case there was any doubt, what I thought actually thought about small town America and my mom and my dad, nostalgia and everything. I want to burn to the ground, and then. Temple, Temple of, of Doom. Doom. Remember <laughs> that fun thing? Actually, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Goonies, which is like, okay, we're going to take a breath. Maybe maybe I like you, actually. Yeah. You know, I, I remember. And then, in many ways, The Crowning Jewel. And it's not primarily a movie that Spielberg conceived of, but it certainly has his touch on it. And it wouldn't have been made without his, his blessing and his influence, Back to the Future. Yeah. Which in a weird way takes the darkness and the light and combines them and says, I love you. And I hate you. You know, we have brought balance to the force. It is. That is a balance to the force kind of thing. It's like the fifties sucks then, too, then, but also it was wonderful. Like, and actually what we've, what I've discovered is everything is wonderful and everything is terrible and I can be Zen about it and we can just have a good time together. Mm-hmm. And so you feel that with back to the future and the back to the future movies. And you feel that peace in Last Crusade mm-hmm. when that comes around. And then he just settles into being Grandpa Spielberg after that. And mm-hmm. then who cares? Yeah. The magic's gone because exactly. the tension is gone. But Poltergeist is kind of the... Except Jurassic Park shows up and is he's it? like, dinosaurs! Yeah, I like dinosaurs! <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was listening to a thing on Back to the Future and what they were pointing out is you can't, you can't make that movie now with, with our era. You can't make the Stranger Things of Back to the Future. Uh, the I live in 2020, and I'm going to go back to 1980. Because the culture I fundamentally shifted yeah. between the 50s. Th- those are the two eras that you need. 50s and 80s. Is now, 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 maybe in 2030. Oh, sure. Yeah. After, after whatever happens over the yeah. next four years happens. After the world's been burned to the ground, then we can make a, a fun little movie about like, Going back to the time before this. Yeah. So we can make a movie about the 2010s, jumping from the 2040s to the 2010s or something, Mm -hmm. or the early 2000s. That will be a movie that movies are still being made because we're not in the uh, some Mad Maxian post-apocalyptic whatever. That'll be a movie that gets made. But Right. But Back to the Future, the joke of the movie, which only really works with those eras, is you have the innocent 1950s and you have the 80s crass corporate reagan the 80s actually people are just people people and the you know my dad was a peeping tom and my mom wanted my mom always wanted to get it on just like the girl that i want to take to the lake in my my jeep in my jeep or whatever yeah it was just as bad back then but also it was different i mean it really is it's just layers of hypocrisy and layers of social mores that you're trying to and I think people. that's a very nice humanistic, I don't know if I buy it, but it's a nice yeah, humanistic fairy tale. It's not tale. exactly, I don't think it's exactly right, but. It's a nice story. 
Mm-hmm. And what I think Poltergeist is doing is giving us actually a more accurate version of the story, which is these people, these parents and this, these, this movie, they grew up just like Steven Spielberg, you know, in the 1950s and then into the 60s. And like you said, they're, they were flower children. They, they, but they grew up like dad was dad and mom was mom and John Wayne and apple pie. And the TV is literally going to end with the national anthem before it turns off and we can't watch any more TV because it's time for a good citizen to go to bed now. Yeah. Like that is the world that these people came out of. And now somehow they find themselves having to in the eighties deal with some kind of primal evil, dealing with some kind of primal evil, trying to be the parents, trying to be the respectable ones, trying to, trying to live up to that ideal but they're both young and they're both play acting and they and they feel inadequate and stupid mm-hmm. and they know it, but they're still going to try to get the job done. And that's every scene. I mean, I agree with you. The end, the beginning is boring, but that's, that's a lot of what the beginning's doing. It's trying to set that up and it does a good job of, of setting that up. Yeah. It's every little thing, you know, it's, oh crap, my daughter's thing died and I'm going to flush it down the toilet because it, you know, I'm I'm actually not the Leave It to Beaver mom. I'm just doing what I can to get by. But what can this thing have died while they were in school? And yeah, w- oh crap! Now I've got to like do the thing where we like put the Twizzler and the flower and the whatever in the box, and now we're gonna symbolically bury this dead parrot in the box, and the grave is gonna be overturned mm-hmm. by our desire to build the swimming pool in the backyard. Yep, yep. and the the teenagers that's not symbolic. The yeah. teenagers are gonna be smirking in the background, not. Yeah. Not getting it like a good kid of an earlier era would have. Yeah, and we're gonna be, you know, fighting over dinner and or a breakfast and throwing. Well, and mom's just gonna be sort of smiling and letting it happen while we fight. And which is such a Spielberg must have hated dinner growing up because every one of his suburban movies around this era has the scene where everybody's talking. And the kids are saying things that they really shouldn't say. I mean, E.T. has a very famous one that I'm sure yep. you, can, you can think of immediately. And yep. most of our audience can't. I won't repeat it. But they're just being real and raw with each other. And meanwhile, dad and mom are either oblivious or doing smiling. the best we can or smiling. Yeah. 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 He what, he what it feels like he hated was just that whole image of, hey, Mikey likes it. You know, mm-hmm. like we're all just like cheerfully having our breakfast before we go to or having our, you know, no, we're not going to have dinner this is gonna be pizza and mm-hmm. crap and the things that we say and dad's always gonna fall asleep in front of tv like the constant image of this movie is dad in front of the tv that's it with the beer can conked out while primal forces try and steal his daughter yep but and then you know i mean the key scene well it's even um it's you know carol ann she's she's intentionally cast as this angelic little victorian ghost story you know, you read a Charles Dickens novel or Dracula is the famous one we read on the bookening. Like the women and the children are always portrayed as these virtuous kind of yeah. creatures to be beset by evil. And Carol Ann does definitely fulfill that function. But we're also going to have little things where she's a kid. Can I get a goldfish now? Yeah. We don't, we want to have her cake and eat it too. And that's yep. kind of what, when we say the it of this movie is special. It's you feel that longing that Spielberg has, like the well, that tension of yeah, you want this to feel like a fifties family, mm-hmm. and it's not, and he's just rubbing your nose in that. And as if all that wasn't 
Freudian or Jungian enough, the dad's name is Steven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... You know, I never even... I only noticed it because I had the subtitles on. Uh, Carol Ann, we hear her stupid name all the... Carol Ann, Carol Ann, mm-hmm. all the time. That's her name. But we have this dad named Steven, and he's this schlubby guy who's pretending to be a man and you know the key scene in the movie is that scene where they're just goofing off and smoking pot and yep. acting much younger than they deserve to they be des- they deserve to be runs over to the mirror and does his thing and you don't know if he's actually going to do a high dive jackknife something or other mm-hmm. off the thing and what a dorky thing that he jackknifes into the pool to <laughs> when he's gonna look for caroline yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep it's all set up and payoff jake that was pretty cheap yeah no that was cheap but I don't know. This is this is what I think makes the movie interesting is just this. I don't know. You just, I, I wonder how much of it was conscious and how much of it was just what Spielberg writing. I mean, he feels like a very intuitive guy. If nothing else about Steven Spielberg, I think you can say he's an intuitive guy. I'm sure a lot of it wasn't conscious, but he's he's got screenplay credit, by the way. This is one of the only things that actually has Steven Spielberg's name on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So there's another reason to give him lots of agency in this story Mm -hmm. but i just find that fascinating that you're gonna have these this dad play acting the whole time and then it's gonna culminate with tell her you're going to spank her i would never do that tell her you know like yeah assume the mantle of old school fatherhood right now at the very last moment you've got to get her to do it and so you have to actually be a dad right he does it and it works and it works except for that Spielberg's not really going to give it to him because we're going to have a, a false end. You know, fatherhood has come through. He stepped up to the plate. He was a dad. Motherhood has come through. She's gone in and got her daughter and come out of the upside down or whatever they call it in this thing. Don't worry, folks. We'll talk about Stranger Things. I got some things to say about Stranger Things as it relates to this movie. Mm-hmm. But hey, what if we base the whole series on what was on the other side of Poltergeist? Yeah, what if we did it with slightly better but much less charming special effects and missed the entire thing that actually made the movie interesting um i guess that's basically what i want to say about stranger things but we'll say it at greater length later um we can bring walter and gary yeah exactly walter and gary they should have their own review show motherhood and fatherhood are going to win we're going to pat ourselves on the back we're going to smile we're going to be a happy family and then just let's blow that to bits let's have our family impotently flailing around as the monsters come back and wreck havoc. Dad's got to come back. Not really to save the day, but just to... Just to yell at the guy. You knew it! You did it! You moved the cemetery, but you didn't move the graves. Right. You you moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies, didn't you? While his family... We got to put a button on the... Yeah. What's actually going oh, on here? Oh, that's what oh, happens. Oh, okay. That's why we had that useless scene with the boss talking about relocating the, ce- the cemetery yeah. earlier. Meanwhile, his family's like, he has to stop to say that while his family's like, you know. Yeah, being assaulted by f- supernatural forces and all that sort of thing. And then he's gonna, they're going to all climb into the car. He's going to fumble with the keys so we can draw out the suspense as long as possible while corpses go flying. And yep. then they're going to get away and they're just going to be dejected and end up in a hotel and throw the TV yeah, out. Yeah, in a holiday inn where we throw the ho- the TV out and I think these filmmakers are enough of 
born out of the liberal kind of neo-Marxian ethos that informs so much of our culture now that throwing the TV out is a very, I don't think it's intuitive. I think it's like 80s culture sucks. Like let's down with capitalism, down with the man, down with everything, down with America. It's all built on a bed of lies. You're greedy, corner cutting, make the buck mentality is going to awaken primal forces of nature that are going to upend everything Mm -hmm. from the foundations. The foundations are built on a the cemetery uh, on the graves of the people that you've trampled and trounced and Mm -hmm. it's all they're all going to come back to haunt you yep and all that schlubby dad steven can do is observe his family being torn apart and kind of maybe buy them some time yay that's the end of the movie i on that level i almost recommend this movie i mean it's not really worth watching as a movie it's only worth watching as an artifact. As an artifact, it's pretty fascinating. And and if you want to, I guess let's just talk about Stranger Things. If you want to understand what's wrong with Stranger Things, I think this movie is a good argument or a good a good presentation of what Stranger Things actually doesn't do, which in a phrase is have something to say, really. I mean, like... Yeah. Well, it's the only thing that you can do. Like, in a downstream from that, all, all we had up until now is decadence. Mm-hmm. There has been no cultural, there's been no adversity or cultural adversity, just a slide into decadence mm. until 2020. Until 2020, yeah. Or I guess some would argue until 2016. The closest thing we've got is 2001. Right. Right. Um, but that was an external enemy. It wasn't an internal battle that mm-hmm. was being fought. And so all you can do is sort of like, it's just it's not much. I mean, there's it's... not much you can do. It, it, you can just sort of like, live in the afterglow, right? Mm. Stranger Things, Amblin, 80s Amblin was potent for Mm -hmm. a reason. And all Stranger Things can do is be masturbatory. Yeah, I think that's true. In the wake of all of that. Well, I think Poltergeist, for all of its flaws, it carries with it a cultural weight that comes from actually having been made in 1982. Maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not, but what I think of so much of 80s nostalgia, which hopefully is past us at this point, minus the additional seasons of Stranger Things, is it? I think so. I so, think we're well into the 90s now. What 80s nostalgia tends to do is just celebrate the decadence of the 80s. Just like, actually, that was a more, what it really says is that was a more innocent kind of decadence and wasn't that nice. Early MTV, Cindy Lopner, yeah. Michael Jackson, businessmen doing coke. Like that all kind of has a sheen of respectability com- uh, compared to the turgid, annoying decadence that we put up with now. Right. That's kind of what 80s nostalgia says. But I don't know. I mean, just go- to go back to the 50s and 80s thing, I think a real 80s movie carries with it the accumulated weight of the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, you know. And has World War II still firmly in the mirror. Right. Here, here's a dad that was definitely spanked by his dad, the World War II veteran. Who and, landed at D-Day. Yeah. You know, like. And he doesn't want to spank his kid. And that's actually going to get him into trouble because he, you know, that, if Stranger Things was smart, that's what they would do with the character of Hopper and with the character of Winona Ryder and stuff. Here are people whose parents believed in men and women and stuff like that. 
you know, the character, the the mom and poltergeist, like she is just the housewife. We don't feel yeah. the need like a modern movie. She's actually a you know, a, a designer who stays at home and does all the mom we stuff. We don't feel any of that. No, she's just she's just the mom. Hopper and Stranger Things, the real Hopper, you know, that kind of guy. He doesn't think that women should be in the workforce. Like right. he carries the accumulated weight of the nineteen fifties. He was you know, there are people that gave themselves to the things in the sixties, but that's actually not that we're telling the story of small town Indiana. Indiana. Those people are conservative. And so it's like when um when Ona Ryder goes to the store and she says, You're gonna give me my time off. I've only ever seen the first season of Stranger Things, you know, and you're gonna give me a pack of cigarettes and stuff. The the show accepts that that's just what a character would do. I'm not saying that she shouldn't do it, but it has to come with the weight of, oh, she's being really weird. Like a woman would, wouldn't actually think to do that. I think Joyce is her name. Is Joyce the one? I don't writer? remember. Like she came out of a different cultural idea of women. Like she's she actually thinks of herself first as a. I don't know. All I'm saying is the show only understands the 80s as set dressing. It doesn't understand the muscles and the skeletal structure and everything that would actually be undergirding Mm -hmm. the entire philosophy of life that those people would bring to it. Sheriff Hopper is the kind of man who would be... Which, again, is what Back to the Future did with the 50s. Yeah. even, Even then, there's a way to do that. Yeah. Back to the Future is a movie with a thesis statement, and that thesis is we were always decadent, basically, and we were always... Great. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird movie. I think one of the reasons that the ending of that movie doesn't quite land is for me, at least like once Marty gets back is because it is such a weird thesis statement, actually like, yay, now you're rich. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not quite, it's a wonderful life. It wants to be. And it has a little bit of that feeling of like, we said everything right. Yeah. But there's something that's cynical about, yay, now you have a giant nice jeep whatever it is that he has you know yeah now you're definitely going to be able to sleep now with your ins- girl this weekend yeah now instead of biff being your dad being biff's boss <laughs> now, now instead of you know biff being your dad's boss your dad is biff's boss so. right we haven't actually achieved any kind of all because of one swing right there's something that kind of works about it like george mcfly actually found his man basically manhood. yeah basically and that resonates i think for anybody but what doesn't quite re- resonate or at least has some weird mixed messaging is you find your manhood and therefore you're rich. <laughs> therefore you achieve eighties style Reagan success. I mean, it kind of works, I guess I'm not, we're, we're we'll, we, we should do back to the future sometime. It'd be a fun movie we to should. talk about, Yeah, but it's just a good example of having something to say. If you're going to make a movie about the eighties, you have to have something to say about the fifties. Stranger things doesn't have anything to say about the 20th century all it has to do is say here's some characters they're just like us and they happen to exist with the set dressing and don't you love that set dressing because we do yeah and in so far as we love it we love it i mean i can watch stranger things and be a little nostalgic i like the synth score i like i like some of the trappings whatever it's fine but there is something hollow about it and there's something that doesn't quite ring true to my childhood and to my memory of growing up in that era in the same way that like poltergeist can actually make me nostalgic. Like I, I grew up with those toys and my parents behaved in a way that's not entirely dissimilar Which, to that. By the way, I mean, I, I think you can listen to, to this and say, well, 
who can actually go back and do that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Can it be done? Like, okay. But I think the answer is, yeah, of course it can be done. Have you ever heard of a show called Mad Men? Like Mad Men goes back and explores the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And and, and Mad Men does such a great job that like, oh, I under I got done watching that show. And it's not a show that I necessarily recommend, but I did watch it. It's got a lot of sex in it. Um, I, I understand my grandpa. I understand the emotional debt, the emotional dead center of Don Draper and the attendant neediness and debauchery that comes with that. It's not that my grandpa was debauched or anything, but I felt you like get I, it, right? I suddenly like, understood that generation. I understood the generation that came before, what they were coming out of, what they were moving into. Well, and, and they'd done their work to understand it mm-hmm. and to at least present a vision of it or mm-hmm. a perspective on it that was like, hey, we're going to explain the world you live in today, mm-hmm. your grandparents or your parents or, you know, your childhood or wh- however you fit into that demographic, you know, mm-hmm. demographically, we're going to explain it to you. Yeah. We're going to put you there. We're going to relive it. Right. The way that it was, the way we think it was. Yeah. And it's compelling because it feels like they nailed it, you know? Yeah. And that's the reason why, I mean, Stranger Things just doesn't have anything to say. There is no... And, I, and, and, I mean, I, I watched the first two seasons of Stranger Things, but what they did in season two made me quit. I hated it. The mistakes that they make, like, spoiler alert, killing off Samwise Gamgee and stuff like that. And the way they did it. And the way they did it. And it's from the very first episode where they kill off that chef who's so nice in season one. Those guys are always tasteless and they're always muddling their messaging. And I think it it comes down to the fact that they really don't have a unified theory of who these people are and why these people are. I mean, if they had that, then they wouldn't actually kill Samwise Gamgee because they would believe in him or they'd give him some dignity and death. Uh, all the problems of that show flow out of the fact that they don't have something to say. Yeah. And, you can and say, so it's just like... Oh, we stumbled into creating something cool. Wouldn't it be funny to kill him in a, the most gruesome way possible and just linger there and de- degrade him in front of you? Mm, no. Not, not really. That's, no. That's the poltergeist mirror scene all over again. Like, let's just do something gruesome for... No, that, that that's not... It's just not good. You still have to tell a good story. It doesn't matter what genre you're in. Yep. You have to tell a good story with likable characters. Period. That's it. And okay, like... You can keep riffing, but at the end of the day, what you've created, it may have been a, a cultural phenomenon, but it it's not going to last. It's not going to stand up. Nobody's going to go back to Stranger Things after Stranger Things is done. I've said this from the very beginning. It's lost. It had a fun hook for its first season. And, and they've got nowhere to go with it. And they've it. got nowhere to go with it, and they never did, and they don't have anything to say, and they've they've got a lot of nice actors, and... Yeah, they've got... Those kids are really talented. There's a lot of small pleasures that you get from watching Stranger Things. I don't want to begrudge anyone Stranger Things or their enjoyment of it as much as I've spent many episodes of many podcasts doing just that. Yeah. Whatever. If you like it, that's fine. But realize that it's junk food. And it's not even the kind of, it's not. It's not good junk food. Yeah. There's not much redemptive about this junk food. Like you could say the Steven Spielberg's junk food and you'd not be wrong. It's just popcorn. But you know. Here's here's a poltergeist, a bad movie with chintzy special effects and nobody having any kind of coherent vision for it. And Steven Spielberg accidentally had 
a lot of things that are very interesting to observe because he's just that that good an observer of human nature and of human beings and his own culture and he obviously has a take on it he has something well, that he believes i mean it was an outlet right it was an outlet for processing his junk yeah and then the good statements are yeah you could probably argue if you wanted to you can't tell a fairy tale like et without having some kind of a dumping ground like poltergeist, poltergeist. to just get it out of your system like actually elliot's trash and so is elliot's mom and it's all gonna burn but let's just get that out of our system so we can do et where a boy and his dog transcend time and space to find the magic of love and life and life and, and it makes perfect sense and everybody loves it and everybody cries i mean it is i i actually like the first act because it just has enough of those things that i was already sort of keyed into that I liked it. I mean, even the cheesy shots of all the tracked houses, the identikit houses with like the... Oh, the kids are going to trip up the dude in the race car. And yeah, the... exactly. But then those cheesy shots of the, the clouds matted. There's a couple times where it's like ominous clouds yeah. gathering over small town USA. Yeah. I liked that stuff. Where the movie really drags for me is the middle act when you've got all this new yeah. age mumble jumbo and the lady explaining about sometimes we don't find it to the light and yeah all this kind of stuff and unless you're i think there should just be a rule for all scary movies or movies of any type really unless you're a ghostbuster you should not try and combine science with paranormal phenomenon because it just comes across like exactly like it is bad science and bad paranormal phenomenon like yeah unless you're gonna camp it up and be super tongue-in-cheek yeah, the reason Ghostbusters works is because Bill Murray's there and he doesn't believe a second of it. Yeah. And he hates it all. And and that's funny. And he's there to just be Groucho Marx. And I mean, Bill Murray in that point of his in career, his career is borderline angry. I mean, he's he's like what we were talking about, Spielberg, the id of what he was getting mm -hmm. out of his system with Poltergeist. Bill Murray's the same way. He hates everybody. He hates everything. He hates the fact that he's a star. He hates the fact that people are paying money for this stuff. And he, because he's Bill Murray, he's very charming about it and can get away with it for whatever reason. Bill Murray just has, he can just get away with it. But yeah, without Bill Murray there to say, why are we doing this? It's really corny to have the little people keep talking about the biolometer and the... Well, I just imagine Dan Aykroyd mm -hmm. saying anything without Bill Murray there to counterbalance him. The fact is Dan Aykroyd is a believer. He actually believes all that stuff. Like, the reason he is in charge of Crystal Skull Vodka is because he believes in the artifacts known as Crystal Skulls. Like, like literally. He, yeah. He really, he, I mean, he's wacko. Well, and famously, the first script of Ghostbusters was like this 300 page, like set in the apocalyptic future when all the spirits of what, like Dan Aykroyd is a crazy person. He's a wacko, crazy person. Right. That He's, movie works because it puts his crazy energy up against the cynical, unbelieving energy of, of Bill Murray. And Bill Murray can overpower it, even though Dan Aykroyd is in charge of the script and everything else about that movie. Mm -hmm. That's why it works. Yep. It cannot work outside of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, the dorky white guy and the cool black guy. They're caught in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Harold Ramis just plays somebody who's too nerdy and out of it to even care about the battle between a believer and a non-believer 
going on all the time. Yep. And then the black guy's just there to collect his check and do his job mm-hmm. and be cool. It works. It, yeah, it works. There's some other magic going on to Scorny Weaver and then uh, Rick, Rick Moranis Rick, is always. Rick Moranis is awesome. He's just and, one of those good luck charms. Like there's Yeah, and then Annie Potts or whatever her name yeah, is. Yeah, she's great. Like that what a great addition to that cast. Like let's take Annie Potts and let's make her play, you know, this like dorky Janine mm-hmm. secretary person like You know what's weird about Ghostbusters, which I think was eighty six, so a few years after this. That movie You don't mm-hmm. think it was eighty four? Um, no, you're right. It was 84. I guess I'll double check, but I think you're right. I'm pretty sure it was 84. Yep. Yeah, well, you would. We, we've multiple times looked up the movies that were... Our birth years. Our birth years. And in that's 80, my birth that's year. Your, yep, 84. You're yeah. right. So, Ghostbusters is two years. Ghostbusters, I think... I don't, I don't find Ghostbusters to be all that scary or anything, but in terms of actually evoking some kind of feeling of there are forces on the other side of... The veil. Yeah, the veil that are trying to get out... Ghostbusters is pretty effective. Yeah. You don't want those demons to make it through mm-hmm. and they are smart enough until the final joke that everybody loves of the movie. They're smart enough to play all the scary stuff really straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Bill Murray is always mocking it, but in and of itself, it's not funny. It's scary. Yeah. And I'd say Ghostbusters has a few moments that are actually more eerie than anything. And Slimer just sitting there gobbling the food. Yeah, well, exactly. And then, charging mm-hmm. a frozen bill murray yeah that's awesome yeah it sent chills down my spine as a kid well that's another movie that i guess we'll have to maybe talk about one of these days librarian chick at early on yeah no that is pretty creepy yeah yeah i guess it's worth maybe t- tell it saying poltergeist is one of those famously cursed movies there's a lot of lore and urban legends about the oh, really well, so Carol Ann died weirdly. She was in Poltergeist 2 and then Poltergeist 3. And then when she was 12 years old, she went into cardiac arrest or something like that. And just just one of those things, you know, like this huh. beautiful little child just died. I think they had to, I think it was kind of morbid, like they had to finish Poltergeist 3 without her or something like that. And so the movie kind of bears the traces of, oh shoot, we have to rethink this because we lost Carol Ann. I've never seen any of the Poltergeist sequels and somehow I don't feel that inspired to nope. check them out. As wonderful as the Jaws sequels were and all sequels to Spielberg movies not made by Spielberg. Never saw the Jaws sequels. I haven't seen any of the Jurassic Park sequels except for the Jurassic World series. Well, there you go. Well, maybe we'll have to talk about those one of those days. Those are kind of interesting Spielberg movies. I've Interestingly only, I've bad. only seen Jurassic Park. Yep. I've seen the Jurassic World stuff. with Right. Pratt, with but. Pratt and Howard. The girl that plays the teenage daughter also, who, who by the way, is like 10 years younger than mom in real life. The actress, Joe Beth Williams, they're, they're really close in age, which I think is intentional. Like, I think it, whether it was intuitive or not, I think he really, really wanted the parents to feel really young and mm-hmm. in mom's case, kind of pretty sexually viable or whatever the nice way of saying that he wanted her to feel like the construction workers could hit on daughter and mom exactly yeah and mom can be proud of daughter mm-hmm. flipping them off yeah well as spielberg i don't I forget whether i said this earlier spielberg has said his dad left he hated his dad and his mom was his best friend and she never felt like much of a mom but she did feel like a a best friend mm-hmm. and so you can definitely see 
the DNA of that in E.T. and yeah. in this. It really feels like he's processing in both those movies his own parents as much as anything. But the teenage daughter died as well. She broke up with her boyfriend and then her boyfriend stabbed her to death or something like that. Whoa. So, yeah, a couple people there. To be clear, folks, Nathan Alverson does not endorse the idea of a poltergeist curse, but I just thought it was interesting trivia. I think anytime, like probably lots of, you know, free willy two crew members died and nobody cared, but a movie called poltergeist right about these kinds of things. And then anything weird happens. Everybody wants to say the poltergeist curse. Yeah, no doubt. Lots of weird things have happened during production of any number of Shakespeare plays because they've been produced a million times, but there is one play that's the Scottish play Mm -hmm. happens to be pretty dark and has some witches, witches and and stuff in it. And so if there's a, some lore that's going to be attached to it. It's going to uh, Shakespeare place be attached to Macbeth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. By the way, this movie should have been called haunting, right? Yeah. Well, given, given no. the definitions that they laid down, this is not a poltergeist. No, but the pult- the reason, so there was a mixing. See, I think the reason, you know, the ho- this house is cleansed. We actually got rid of the poltergeist. We got, we got, no, we got rid of the ghosts, but we didn't get rid of the poltergeist. Okay. So the poltergeist is just going to throw all the corpses up at them yeah at the end or maybe vice versa or vice versa yeah so it's like a twist like you thought it was a poltergeist but really it was a ghost or or you right you got rid of the ghost doesn't that monster show up again though in that yeah i couldn't tell whether it was two different monsters there's a monster that comes out and goes at the dad yeah when the when he's holding the rope and the mom's going in to get carol ann yeah does that monster come back it looks different to me. A monster. There is a skeletal kind of crawling creature that when they're being sucked into the... When the mom's taking the bath and then the two kids yeah. start getting... Yeah, there's a monster. Yeah, there is a monster. That's right. So that's the poltergeist. That's the poltergeist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're all caught in the space between. Right. Okay. And th- there's a convergence. And it all tracks. Yeah, it all... Tr- sort of. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're all caught like this house is... A convergence, and maybe the poltergeist has been attracted to it. Mm-hmm. Also, these un these spirits of unrest are there too, and we see all these cowboys and crap. There you go. Who knows? It, so many way, so many ways this screenplay could have been rewritten to make more sense and yeah, be more scary. Or somebody's figured it out and thought it through better than us. But yep, the fact that we just had this discussion of being a little confused about which is which. I mean, come on. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not trying very hard to to be clear. If if we can't just come away knowing it, yeah. The one thing we do know is that that jerk he he moved the headstones, but not the graves. Mm-hmm. We do know that because it. it was said to us <laughs> several times. Several times yeah. it was screamed to us. In fact, <laughs> I guess maybe one other thing I'll say is this is just part of the 70s horror boom 70s into the 80s boom that started with the success of stephen king and john carpenter uh john carpenter and uh, the novel version and then the film version of rosemary's baby big bestseller popular movie publishers realized oh we can publish horror books and then stephen king hit hit the scene around that time with carrie in the early 70s i think 72 and VC Andrews, who I've never read and know nothing about, but I've seen a million VC Andrews paperbacks just sitting in the store mm-hmm. in my time. What's 
vaguely interesting maybe is that we're poltergeist is part of a movement to bring the supernatural together with the mundane you know this doesn't you're you watch an old universal 1930s dracula movie it's like creaky castles and cobwebs and very gothic trappings and stuff like that well let's just say that's a springboard for a a little tiny rant Mm -hmm. that i think is worth going out on if you've heard christians today talk about what we really need is like narnia but set in the midwest Mm -hmm. guys (laughs) do you know what narnia set in the midwest is it's the MCU. It's mm-hmm. yep. Oh, we need stories and a myth, a, a mythos for like America. That's like yeah, we've got them. We've got them. Yep, we have them. Like that's what Stephen King was doing. That's what Ray Bradbury was doing. That's what Spielberg was doing. That's what. That's why these guys. Were that's so- what Hollywood has been doing. Has been cre- like everything from Broadway to John Wayne to mm-hmm. Spielberg to Stephen King to. They've been creating the American mythos for us. We're trying to. You well, you know? don't have to like what they do, but don't don't pretend like you Let's can, not pretend like they didn't do it. Exactly. You can say they did it bad and that the we need a a Christian myth making or whatever. You you don't have to pretend like you don't have to like the fact that Homer had Odysseus fornicate all the time, but you can at least admit that Homer wrote the myth that informed the culture. Exactly. So Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think that that's really true. I I mean, y'all are, Christians are so dumb. They're just always it's 20 years behind the times. Always 20 years behind. Always 20 years behind in how they process everything. And always thinking they've got a, qu- a corner on things, you know, finally. And it's just like, well, man, yeah, and go and back and pay attention to what's going on in the world around you. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah. What's What's the next thing that we need, actually? Not the thing that's doing the thing that Stephen King, who's now in his 70s, figured out how to do. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg, who's now in his 70s, figured out how to do. What's what's the next thing? C.S. Lewis, who's been in the grave for 40 years, figured out how to do. Yeah. Let's do the next thing. Let's do the next thing. I... But there... I mean, that's the thing. So long as Christians just are always trying to be that. Mm -hmm. Trying to live up to trying to be the next, the next big thing. They're always going to be riffing off of of 20, 30 years ago, and they're never going to be ready for the next best thing. Well, the other weird thing that Christians do is they don't riff off of 20 years ago. They riff off of 100 years ago. Right. Like, if, if, if Stephen King and Steven Spielberg already decided, like, actually, we don't need creaky castles. It's scarier if we're just in our normal suburban house and ghosts are haunting us. Christians are the kinds of people who think, ooh, you know what would be good is a story about a haunted castle. Yeah, exactly. You know? Let's do Tolkien again. Yeah. It's like the MCU already figured out how to bring, and, and George Lucas and everybody, like, they, they, they took the Tolkien stuff and they made it, like, for us. Yeah. Now. Yeah, and you want the creepy castle stuff, but still in the suburban? Well, J.K. Rowling figured out how to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> yeah. You want, you want, a, you want a mashup? We've got everything. Mm-hmm. We've got Tolkien, but today we've got Tolkien in space and we've got, you know, Tolkien that's a mashup of old and today. Right. Like, take your pick. Harry Potter, Star Wars, MCU. Mm-hmm. You want it? We got it. But it doesn't live up to Tolkien because it's not Christian. Well, yeah, okay, sure, fine. Cool. You're right. 
but let's not pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. And and I don't know. I mean, here's just a bit of a bit of strategy. Like if if the world is occupying a space pretty well and pretty popularly, is that really the space that you want to try and take? Like you could get in ahead on a different space and maybe really stake some ground like Tolkien did. Exactly. Like yeah. John Milton did, like the great Christian ri- fiction writers and people have done. But just saying, hey, that space looks cool. Man, it just makes you the cheap version of Stranger Things. Yeah. Let's not be Stranger Things. Don't be Stranger Things. Don't be Stranger Things. Be better. Be better. Hey, speaking of better, let's do our patron choice award of awesomeness for Jacqueline. Yo, what's up, Jackie? Jackie, you are awesome. You're so awesome. We really like you. Yep. We think you're great. Jacqueline is the best. Jacqueline is like, if we had to compare her to one Steven Spielberg movie, she would be either E.T. or Raiders of the Lost Ark because she's perfect. She's practically perfect. I'm going to go with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe on some days, like when she's feeling a little melancholy, she's E.T. When she's buoyant and Just cheerfully there to get back up on her feet and conquer the world, she's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. But she she don't poltergeist, yo. Nope. All right, that's it. This show was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. We'll be back next time to talk about everybody's favorite Spielberg movie, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. A movie that arguably didn't happen because they ended this trilogy really nicely. Mm -hmm. Back with Last Crusade. So maybe we won't be back if that argument proves to be true. Anyway, folks, until next time. They're here. They're here.